verse 6, he'd been praying. When Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home and in his upper room with his windows open towards Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. He still kept praying. And here he is now in Daniel chapter 9, praying in his old age. Let's look at some principles in the prayer that he prayed. What I want you to see, first of all, is that Daniel is humble. And he identifies with the people's sin. At least three times, and then there are other times where he's saying virtually the same thing, so it's more than three really, but explicitly it says in Daniel chapter 9, we have sinned three times. And he identifies with collective sin. And there is a place for this, friends. We should not just be thinking of ourselves and our own particular concerns, which of course are legitimate. But we should come with a sense of awareness of a much greater offence to God, which is not just our sin, but the sin of many. And Daniel had begun to be aware of the awfulness which had led to the predicament that the whole of the nation of Israel was in, in exile, in a foreign land, pushed to worship idols which he had said he wouldn't, maybe some had compromised, because they were already worshipping idols even before they went into exile. He says, we have sinned, neither have we heeded your servants, the prophets. The prophets. Can I also say that Daniel is reverent. Sometimes we're far too... Um, we're, 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 although it's true that God brings us near through the blood of Christ, we are coming to a great and mighty God. We should come with very great reverence we should prepare ourselves, and I speak to myself as much as anybody, I'm not putting myself up here as one who is an expert on this, but I know that we should prepare ourselves to approach Almighty God. When we pray in the mornings, and I hope you all do, when we pray in the evenings, and here's Daniel praying up in the middle of the day, we should come with reverence. And notice, you should be aware of this, that uh, always get a Bible where the word God is translated according to what's there in the original. <coughs> when it says Lord in the New King James, it has L-O-R-D written in small capitals, so you know it's Jehovah, it's Yahweh, it's the I am that I am. And that's what we've got here in chapter 9 verse 4 doesn't always come through actually into uh, the other translations. I prayed unto the Lord. And this is the Lord Jehovah, the I am that I am. He is our Lord. And he exalts him. O Lord, the great and awesome God. We need to have a sense of real reverence as we come to the God of gods. My supplication was before the Lord my God. It comes through again later on in the prayer. And Daniel is heaven-centred. He actually says in chapter 9, verse 12, 
under the whole heaven. When he says, under the whole heaven has not evil been done like at Jerusalem. But you get it more in what was referred to earlier in Daniel 2, which I'm not emphasising Daniel 2 and Daniel 6, even though it was a little bit part of my remit. But I'm referring here to Daniel 2, verse 28, where it says, as we had given to us um, uh, earlier, there is a God in heaven. He was truly aware of heaven-centred thinking. You get it with the Apostle Paul at the end of the book of Ephesians, where he talks about principalities and powers. And he talks about the battle in the midst of heavenly battles. We should be far more conscious of the fact that there is a heavenly battle going on between uh, evil powers and the fact that Christ has broken the back of Satan's opposition. But he's still, of course, seeking to bring us down. He's heaven-centred. We get this, we've sinned against you in chapter 9, verse, uh, uh, verse 12. Uh, it says, under the whole heaven there is a God in heaven. Now we come on to Daniel being in a repentant spirit. We have sinned against you. Now, it's lovely how the scripture, when you pull on phrases, you find these phrases crop up elsewhere. After all, David, after his personal tragedy and awful guilt that he felt when Nathan had said, you are the man, he wrote Psalm 51, and in it you have, against you, you only. We've got the same thought here. Daniel is repentant. We have sinned against you. But he's not just repentant now for the people's sins. He talks about his own sin. So having talked about collective sin, he now does speak about his personal sin. Confessing, confessing my sin and the sin of my people. We should be explicit. Daniel doesn't talk about the exact sin that he's repenting of. That's between him and his God. But he says he did it. We need to spend time confessing our sins. Daniel then turns to a forthright claiming of promises that he had read in the very passage that I referred to in Jeremiah 29 and Jeremiah 25. Because he knew, I was so excited, that having read, it wasn't the book in his day, was it? It would be the rolls. And he read these rolls from Jeremiah in the past. And he says, there is a promise here. God is saying... Then it's seven years and he got his calculator out, which I'm sure wasn't an iPhone, and he worked out maybe whatever he was however he was doing it. Hey, we're near the end of the 70 years, it's not long, and we should be out of this mess. And so he turns what he had found in the Word of God to a wonderful prayer, which is very specific. And he speaks of God keeping his covenant and mercy with those that love him. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness. Then verse 18, 
not because of our righteous deeds, far from it. There is none, but because of your great mercies. And this is wonderful, how he very specifically is now asking that God would have mercy on them. O Lord, verse 19, hear, O Lord, forgive, O Lord, hearken and do, don't defer, don't delay, for your own sake, O my God, for the city and your people are called by your name. And he's praying in the name of the I am that I am, who has promised in his word that there will be an end to this disaster. And we need to pray like that. We need to turn God's word back to himself. I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto me. John 12, verse 31. And we should claim that as we go onto the beaches, as we go into the open air, as we see such devastation in the church, sadly, as well as in our own country. And we say, Lord, your word says, I, if I be lifted up, the preaching of the cross of Christ, that it will draw all men to himself. Lord, act and do. That should be the way that we pray. And it should be our hearts longing, of course, and I'm sure it is with all of you, that God would use this work mightily. And he has done over the decades. The number of us, I'm afraid, I'm showing my, my age now. But, you know, it, the Lord has blessed so greatly this work. Well, our prayer should be that the Lord would still bring revival in the, even in these very dark days in which we live. Some of us can have a, a rather fatalistic batting down the hatches mentality. It's all over. You know, everything's over with Britain. No, no, no. Don't have that attitude. Even if you perhaps do think people have different views as to the end times, and I'm going to that, I'm not going to make much comment. Whatever your view, my dear friends, have a positive view of the greatness of Christ, the greatness of the cross, the greatness of what he's done, and the glorious future that there is for his people. That was brought out so much by Peter last night, wasn't it? Now, let me just move on. That speaks of God's major redemptive plan. And of course, we now come to verses 16 and 17, where he really is claiming what really is read in Jeremiah 25 and Jeremiah 29. For the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine on your sanctuary. That is the very literal place. The temple where the offerings had been going on for centuries, but now they weren't. And that was very important to the Jewish community. The temple was desolate. That's why they were weeping, as it says in Psalm 137. How can we sing God's songs, the Lord's songs, in a strange land? And here was Daniel, weeping, really. doesn't say he wept, but you could imagine him really on the verge of tears coming to prayer. And it's a strange thing, you know, friends, I'm not saying that tears are everything. You could cry, and it may be a false tears. But sometimes we should pray. Virgin my tears. Did not the Lord do so against them? As he saw the awfulness of what was to be done. 
and he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. How he wept over the grave of Lazarus. How he was moved in his own heart to, with longing for the people that he met, he looked after the rich young ruler who came to him. And it says, looking after him, he loved him. I think we lack heart very often. And the reason is, we're not spending time in secret, pouring out our hearts before God. Well, hardly surprising. As Stuart Elliot says, heaven listened and heaven answered. Wonderful. As he makes his comments on Daniel 9. When I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel reached me about the time of the evening offering. Isn't it beautiful? God does something just at the time that Daniel knew there should have been an offering in the temple and there wasn't. And it was at that very time, maybe as he was saying to the Lord, why is there no offering in that temple? And it was at that very moment that the Lord sends Gabriel and in the authorised it says he touched him. In the New King James it says he reached to him. I think if you look at that word, it's very, very powerful and very emotive. And it's not the only place that this type of thing is said. I'm coming to that. Now look, friends, where does this bring you and I in terms of our prayers? Let me just say a word about the end because heaven answered with an amazing prophecy. I'm just not going to spend long on this because it's not the main emphasis of what I want to preach to you. People disagree as to this ending, but they all agree that when it says that after the 69 times sevens, it says, verse 26, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. What an amazing statement is made here. Daniel is given the very heart of what's going to happen. He's called. Yes, his prayer is answered, and the decree will go from Cyrus, and it will be 49 years, seven hectares, and it will, will happen. Then he's told of this middle period of, uh, of, of, uh, of the middle, longer period, where there will be... Um, He's told of this middle period of 62 sevens from that time when Messiah will be cut off. And then of course there is that last week which is a difficult one. So I'm trying to argue that that's way into the future. Others would say now it's to do with the AD 70 final destruction of Jerusalem. Let's park that because people don't agree. But we all agree that it's speaking of the wonderful truth of the Lord Jesus Christ bleeding and dying, not for his own sins, but for the sins of his people. 
So Daniel is given this amazing revelation, which not only concerns what he was praying about, but God says, I'm going to give you even more knowledge, Daniel. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do beyond that. And it's as though Daniel had dared to sort of bash on the very gates of heaven. And the Lord said, I'm not just going to tell you, Daniel, what you asked for. Come in, Daniel. Come in, Daniel. I'm going to tell you the real secret of what I'm about. Daniel is described by Ezekiel as one of the three people Noah, Daniel and Job that's Ezekiel 14 verse 14 which even if these godly men were there God would still destroy Israel so you see that Daniel was a very thoughtful and godly man now I need to come to my end and I want to now practically bring to you the things which we learn from this. You say, I'm struggling in prayer. Join the club. <laughs> I struggle. In a ministry which I'm involved in, I'm five flippers. I pray. And yet we all say, we must pray more. Look, God deals with failures. I didn't intend it. You say, I struggle in prayer. Start with that. Although I would encourage you to start with God. What do I say? Well, how about taking a model as the Lord's Prayer? David Harding shared with us some wonderful thoughts from the night. He just took us through the Lord's Prayer, which is in Matthew 6, and it's also in Luke 11. And he made the point that it's at two points in the Lord's ministry. But there are wonderful thoughts that we can follow as we come to prayer. It's very similar to the way Daniel prayed. Hallowed, start with God's name. Hallowed is your name. Then talk about his kingdom, thy kingdom come. Then thirdly, talk about God's will being done. On, in heaven, as it is on earth, notice the similarity to Daniel's prayer. Ask him for your daily bread, but not just your physical bread, but your spiritual bread. Treat this as, not a formula, but treat this as a template in which to come to God. May I suggest this to you? Then confess your sins. Forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And can I encourage you, to come with your sin and of course put that sin right if there is someone and I hope you did this before communion that you'd fallen out with put it right was there a word which you said which you know it needs repentance of if you couldn't do it immediately if you're going to write a letter you're going to make an email make it be a phone call but claim 1 John 1 7, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. And then the Lord's Prayer goes on to say, deliver us from evil and remove us from temptation. 
will lead us not into temptation. We need God's grace. You don't know what the day will unfold. Someone once said, meet the Lord before day, before uh, before day or else you'll be meeting the devil first. You need to meet the Lord. Because the devil will soon come into that day and seek to trip you up. You say, I'm too busy. Tell him. Each one of them. If you say, what do I say? Tell him that you don't know what to say. If you're too simple, tell him that you're too simple. If you're too busy, go and tell God that you're too busy. You'll soon find that you can't say it. But least you can't really say it, can you, with a real sense of reverence. You're going to say, I'm too... So if you attempt to say what you're really thinking to God, and you'll find that suddenly you'll realise you're before the mighty God, Yahweh, and you cannot possibly be saying, I'm too busy to come to Him. So you want to pray. That's good. Can I suggest that if you're struggling, tell Him with another In other words, how about praying with somebody? And can I encourage you to go to your church prayer meeting? We talked about praying on our own. I'd say, if you're struggling, pray with one another. It's good to have somebody you're accountable to. And then go to the church and pray with them. You'll find that it will bless you. It blesses me when I go to our local church prayer meeting. It's not so local. I go to Milner, but there you go. That's a nice story. But it's it's wonderful to pray with the Lord's people. Now let me just bring you to a point that I mentioned that I come back to. Gabriel touched Daniel. If you look in the scriptures, you'll find that the Lord Jesus Christ, in Luke 22, verse 43, was praying in the garden of Gethsemane. And he was grappling with my sin. As he was about to now load it upon himself. His head had touched the ground which was cursed. Now he wore the crown of thorns a bit later as a symbol of the fact that he was now taking the curse of my sin. And he was in such distraughtness that he says an angel came and strengthened him. How wonderful how scripture has little pictures of Christ in Daniel which are fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you struggle in prayer? Well, we all struggle in prayer. Paul struggled. He said, Lord, why have you done this? Why have you taken this thing from me, whatever it was? And the Lord says, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in us. Supremely seen by the Lord Jesus himself. Because in the Lord Jesus, in Corinthians 1, it speaks of the greatness of what Christ did. That God's weakness was far greater than, as Peter was saying last night, this brave little horn. Not so brave, just boasting. God, in his weakness, apparent weakness, is far, far greater. Let me just read you from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It has this principle of weakness and strength. And that 
is what we need to come to. The foolishness of God, verse 25 of 1 Corinthians 1, is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. We need to get to that point in our prayers. We need to take up our cross and follow him. Come back to where I started. Have you crashed recently? Has there been something in your life that has caused a mighty crash? Don't lose heart. God has his purposes for you. It may be that what he's doing is that he's bringing you low in order to make you pray. I'm not saying that he does this capriciously, and he may not do it at all. His ways are past finding out. But it may be that a certain crash that's taken place in your life, like that aircraft that I mentioned earlier, is God's deliberate plan to make you pray and to bring such fragrance like he brought from Christ who had no sin and yet was crushed for us in our place and brought such fragrance from that offering to God. We can never do that what Christ did but we're told to take up our cross and follow him. And Daniel in his weakness feeling so distraught God touches him and does a mighty mighty work in writing wonderful things for us that are still a blessing to us today. May we learn to pray. Blessings on you all.